Good morning. Good to see everyone here. It's really a blessing to hear Carrie speak. Uh, if you've missed Sunday school, they kind of talked about, gave sort of his testimony a little bit. Some of the things that he and his wife had done, just very interesting people. And I often think about, you know, just the guts it, it takes to be involved in that kind of work. I mean, I, a few weeks ago, my son uh, got me tickets to uh, a concert, and we drove down to Cincinnati, and I was all freaked out about, oh, I gotta, am I going to get the right uh, exit off of 75? Oh, I hope I don't go into Kentucky again. Oh, I'm worried about all this stuff. And, and, and these guys, I mean, they pack up and fly to Peru to, uh, you know, wherever, and it, it just amazes me, the courage and the, the passion that, that missionaries, true missionaries like like those folks have to, to spread the gospel. So, um, you know, in some ways it makes me kind of bummed out. I'm like, oh, gee, you know, what have I ever done for God? Wow, you know, I'll never, you know, do anything like that. That's really... But this week was, uh, you know, kind of a bummer week for me. I'm kind of bummed out this week. And uh, just a lot of different things going on. And the icing on the cake was this... Uh, uh, a few days ago, I, uh, I stepped on the scales. I'm going to check this out. I've been trying to lose some weight. I'm like, uh, man, it's just not, you know, the dial isn't working. And, and I'm throwing a fit. And, you know, what is wrong with these things? And, and I got to feeling real bad. And it's like, man, I'm trying to give up drinking pop. And I love I drink way too much pop and, uh, and all these things. So I... You match that with, normally when I'm bummed out about things, my sleep gets messed up, so I can't sleep at night either. So I'm flopping around like a fish out of water, stretching and, you know, the whole thing. And I'm laying there, and I'm praying to God. I say, God, help me get these things, you know, sorted out in my mind. And, you know, really we're going to bear down this time, and we're going we're gonna cut to cut a few pounds off, you know, this summer and get back to school and, you know, I got to feeling real good, and and uh, I got up and and uh, and uh, went into the restroom, and there were the scales again. And I said, "I'm going to step on those scales." Where our scales have been—I uh, don't know if it's the battery in them or the fact every time we don't like it, we kick the thing. You know, there's something <laughs> wrong with it. So I got on there, and this is just after I prayed to God, and I'm feeling real good, and I step on there, and look down. Apparently, I weigh 888 pounds. So, you know, that, that made me feel real good. I'm like, oh, you know. Yeah, that's right. Muscle more than, I'm, I'm stocky. I'm not, I'm not, so. Anyways, many of you have been in similar situations where you tend to get bummed out and frustrated and, and, and things get, you know, it gets a little overwhelming at times. This last week, um, well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 42. I think we had camped here a little bit a few weeks ago, a month ago or so. But Psalm 42, uh, for people who suffer from depression, people who suffer with emotional things, people who are very emotional to begin with, sometimes we, you know, we deal with, with our feelings and we get our feelings hurt, and there's an old saying that, uh, you know, life is a comedy, 
for those of you who think, you thinkers out there, life's a big comedy, but life is a tragedy for those who feel. And that's me. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a feeler. Life's, you know. And, uh, but Psalm 42, and you've probably heard some of these uh, verses before. Verse 1, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? You ever had that feeling? You know, man, God, if I could just talk to you face to face. You know, not, not prayer, but like you're here and I'm... Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me for I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Here you have the the writer of the psalm. I mean, this is a person who knows God intimately. I'm not sure if this is a psalm of of David or not. I don't know if he, eh, he may have written this one. But, uh, you know, verse 4, you know, I used to go along with the throng. Man, I was out in front of everybody at church. I went into church and let them in there, praising God. Man, where have those times gone? I'm bummed out. David feels this way, and many people throughout history, ever since, you know, humanity has began, uh, people have dealt with these kinds of, of feelings. Uh, here are some famous people, Buzz Aldrin. Buzz Aldrin, he had the right stuff. He was one of the guys that, uh, you, you know, he went to the moon. When he returned to Earth, there was a period of time where he couldn't cope being back on Earth. He was like, yeah, nothing compares to, to what, what I've seen and where I've been. He went into a serious depression and... Uh, you know, he, he wrote about it, and he would go on talk shows and talk about it. Buzz Aldrin was, was bummed out, and we're like, what do you got to be bummed out about? Man, you went to the moon. Other famous people like Winston Churchill, um, Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln often wrote about, and he talked about how at some of the worst times during the war, when he was physically just beat down, just exhausted, he would talk about there, you know, there's, you know, there's depression, there, there's guilt, there's just not feeling good, and then there's that that deep dark spot that you you can't touch, you just can't do anything about it. And on and on we go. We could deal with you know people from the Bible. King David dealt with it. Elijah dealt with it. Uh, Job, of course, uh, he had a right to be depressed. Everything got wiped out. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, uh, you, you know, talked about he's bummed out. Paul often felt the pain of depression. Depression affects everybody. Men and women, young and old, rich and poor. And, you know, the thing that got me on this kick this week about talking about this is if you've been keeping up with the news, there are a few celebrities that passed away this week, a couple of people who took their own life. 
uh, Anthony Bourdain, who's uh, had the cooking show, famous, uh, he traveled the world, did a lot of fun stuff. Uh, there was a fashion designer, Kate Spade was her name, she took her life. Uh, both of these people, I believe, had teenage children. Um, they had fame, for, they had everything going for them. You know, what's going on here? But what's happening is something that, you know, I wish I could say that it doesn't affect the church because we have, we have Jesus. You know, we, have, we know God. We don't deal with depression in the church. We don't deal with mental illness. I mean, we've got a Savior who loves us and, and does all these things, and, and we sing about it, and we read about it. And, but the fact is, there are over 40 million Americans in this country who are dealing with some kind of a mental health condition. There are people in this congregation that are dealing with mental health issues. I'm not saying anybody's crazy. It used to be the old thing. Ah, you're kind of, take you down to the loony farm of John and Pat Looney. When I was a kid, I'd always tease them. We're going down to the loony farm, you know, down where all the crazy people go. You know, well, as you get older, you begin to realize mental illness isn't anything to, to fool around with. It's not funny. It's a legitimate illness. We don't make fun of people who have cancer or heart problems. But sometimes people have issues mental, of mental health, and we don't know how to handle that. We don't know how to talk about it. And we don't definitely, sometimes in the church, don't want to talk about it. You know, one in five adults have a mental health condition. Youth mental health is worsening. Um, I talked to a director up in Champaign County. She helps. It's not children's services, but it's a group like that. And she had some of the different statistics and things. Rates of youth with severe depression have increased from about 6% in 2012 to over 8% in just the last few years. Even with severe depression, 76% of youth are left with no or insufficient treatment. They have no way to, nobody to talk to, no way to get better, nobody to, nobody to express what they're feeling. And I hate to tell you, gang, but school isn't like when you went to school. The, the amount of stuff that kids have to deal with is incredible. The, uh, the peer pressure, the expectations about what it means to be a man and a woman are, are, are different. Uh, girls oftentimes you know, feel they have to dress a certain way. They have to act a certain way in order to be taken seriously. And none of it is very moral. Fellas believe, well, i got to be an alpha male. i got to do all these things. And none of it really leads to any kind of, of decent mental health. You add into it these new devices, which are wonderful tools. Let me tell you, gang, there are a lot of people whose lives have become absolutely miserable because of these devices. It's like anything else, used properly, it has a reason, has a point. But for many people, these devices are, are a source of, of stress, a source of conflict, uh, a, a reason to feel poorly about yourself, because kids constantly, when they're online, they're comparing themselves to each other. Look at my picture, look at my selfie. 
Look at this. Look, look, look. Look at me, 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 me. And kids have to look at that, and they, they try to keep up with it, and, some, and kids use it to harass one another, and it gets downright vicious. We have more uh, cases of mental health issues than we've ever had affecting young people You know, I really believe we have a serious um, shortage. I could go on quoting fact after fact, but I think you get the point. You know, 18% of adults have a mental health condition. 9.6 million people uh, annually experience episodes of suicidal ideation, thinking about taking their own life. And on and on it goes. We have a real mental health problem in this country. We have it with our kids. We have it with us. We have it in the military. We do a great job. We're the best in the world at preparing men and women to go into battle, to fight, to be successful on the battlefield, to kill, to take ground, to hold it, to achieve national goals. But we do a horrible job of when these people come home, of just putting them back out into society, giving them very little in terms of mental health um, intervention. One of the problems in the Vietnam War was literally you had to have guys in the field fighting in the middle of firefights and killing people and being shot at. And with the new technology, oh, you got your, your, your years up, buddy. You're out of here. Get your ticket, got your plane ride. Fly to Saigon, fly on out of there, and you're home with your family within 36 hours, 48 hours. You're sitting at home at the dinner table with your wife and your kids. 48 hours before, you're in a rice paddy. The mind just can't shut off like that. We don't do a good job talking about mental health, and I believe that that includes the church as well. You know, that's a sticky question many Christians often struggle with. Is depression, is it a sin? Do I, you know, the fact that I feel poorly, the fact that I, you know, my, I just can't get my mood going, you know, have I sinned? Did I do something wrong? You know, a lot of people have thought about that, and it's not really helped by well-meaning Christians who don't understand depression saying things like, oh, you just need to have more faith. Well, maybe there is some sin in your life, and you wouldn't feel like this. Maybe if you would you, you know, confess your sins, then you'll feel good. Maybe you need to pray harder. Maybe you need to read the Bible more. You need a deeper walk with the Lord. <laughs> what is that? To someone who already feels guilty about everything, that just piles on even more guilt. Oh, geez, now I'm a horrible Christian, too, because none of those things worked. So what is it? Is depression a sin? And I think, you know, unequivocally, the answer is no, of course not. Mental health is not a sin. Mental health issues. Now, I'm not talking about a guilty conscience from something you did. I ripped off a case of pop out of the thing and ran off with it. 
Oh, man, I feel horrible. Now, that's guilt. That's okay. That's not a mental health crisis. That's natural. And as Christians, the Holy Spirit plays a role in convicting us of sin that's in our lives, and we should feel guilty about it. That's healthy. But for some people, especially those who deal with clinical depression, that has a physical cause. It's not because of sin. It's not because of things in your life. Now, that can exacerbate the problem, definitely. Open up to John chapter 9. I want to read a story. I've always liked this story. It seems like a minor thing, but man, did it really blow up into a big brouhaha. Uh, Chapter 9 of John. John's going to heal, or excuse me, Jesus is about to heal a a blind man. Okay, in uh, John chapter 9, Jesus and the disciples are walking around and it says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Now think about that. If you're the guy sitting there, you're blind. You have to beg for everything, and you hear people whispering and talking. Now, he's blind. Now, what kind of sins he did? What did he do to tick God off? Or what did his parents do? Holy cow. The guy's probably sitting there thinking, I must have done something, or man, my folks must have really messed up because God's really punishing me now. Verse 3, Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the work of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes. The eyes of the blind man, not, not Jesus. Okay, the, the blind man. He said to him, go wash, go wash your eyes out in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. A miracle. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is that not the guy who used to sit around and beg? Others were saying, that's him. Still others were saying, no, it's, it's somebody like him. But he kept saying, no, it's me, I'm the one, I was blind, now I can see. Verse 10, so they were saying to him, how then were your eyes opened? Now remember, The assumption in that culture was if you were blind or you had serious physical problems, it was because you were a sinner. You deserved it. Or your parents or somebody in your past generation, they screwed up so bad, now you're paying the price for it. So the assumption among these people is you got your sight back, but look, you're still a sinner. You still screwed up. We're going to figure this out here. So, verse uh, 11, he answered, The man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed, and I received sight. They said to him, Where is he? And he said, I don't know. And then, of course, the rest of the story, I mean, it's a lot of they run Jesus down, and they, 
they get on him about, you know, what are you doing? You can't be doing this. Uh, you know, um, uh, Jesus, uh, you know, he talks about later on, you, you know, you know, basically this all happened so that God could display something that the, the world needs to know about. So in anything you did that would cause this to happen. Imagine that being in a world of darkness like that where you can't see, having people constantly ask you, what did you do? Why did you end up blind? Well, what if it was depression? What did you do to feel like that? What have you done? What did your, how did your parents raise you? Man, you must have had one heck of a family growing up for you to be so screwed up now. I mean, what is, what's the deal here? What's going on? Poor fella. You can, you can imagine the man's probably asking himself, you know, what sin have I committed that's brought me into, into depression? Anybody like that. Anyways, I can assure you, from, at least from my, I'm 100% sure in my heart, now maybe I'm wrong, that's always a possibility, but I, I don't believe depression is the result of sin in your life, clinical depression. Okay? Now, when we do sin, the Holy Spirit does bring about feelings of guilt and a reminder that we should ask God for forgiveness. That's not what we're talking about. Because for some people, clinical depression is, is a real problem. It's caused by a chemical imbalance in the brain, and that, that's what most drug treatments are based on. Certainly, in many cases, there's a reduction in the amount of certain neurotransmitters in the brain, specifically serotonin, norepinephrine. We're a biochemical machine. We're part chemistry, part electric. That's how I tell the kids it's what I tell them at school. And sometimes the chemistry gets fouled up. And if the chemistry gets fouled up, you're going to feel different. Things are going to be different. I don't believe that clinical depression, the depression that leads people to commit suicide or to fill lives where they can barely function, can barely get out of bed, can barely move. I mean, that's the kind of depression that we're, we're talking about, stuff that's very, very debilitating. Let's go back to the story here, John chapter 9, verse 13. Now, this blind man here, He's pretty excited because he can see, as you can imagine. But I don't think he's just pumped up because he can see. I think it's because, you know, Jesus is going to point out, look, it's not because of any sin that you did that you can't see. You were born blind for a specific reason, for this time and place, so that you could be healed, so people could see the work of God. Now, if that would be me, I would be more pumped up about the fact that I, it's not my fault. I didn't do anything. I didn't, uh, I didn't cause this blindness. My parents really were good people, I told you. you know. Take that weight off of us. Well, verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now, of course, it was on the Sabbath day. Sometimes I think Jesus intentionally picked the Sabbath day to do miracles just to tick off the Pharisees and to prove a point. 
And the Pharisees also, verse 15, were asking him again how he received his sight. And he, the, the man said, well, he applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. And the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God, because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was division among them. So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, hey, he's a prophet. He's fantastic. He's amazing. He's awesome. I got my sight back. And he let me know that all this time, none of that was my fault. I didn't do anything bad. Of course I'm a sinner, but hey, my blindness was not caused by my sin or the sin of my, my parents. Many times, I think we as Christians, you know, we look at people who are sick, people who have chronic conditions, and it's sometimes people like to be a little judgmental, and, you know, maybe that person's getting what they got coming to them. There were instances in the Bible where things did happen to people. People did get sick and die because of sin. But we live in a fallen world where nothing's perfect. From the sin of Adam and Eve forward, we're under a curse. Things are not as they were meant to be, and that includes your physical bodies. The fact that we grow old and die, I mean, it's a process that's a result of the sin of Adam and Eve, and our own personal sin. That's why we need a Savior. But there are things that happen to us, things that get fouled up within the body, within the mind, because we do live, I think, in a fallen, fallen world. So what happens if you are depressed? What if you've got, you know, what do you do about it? Well, Jesus made a statement, you know, the truth will do what? Set you free. The truth will set you free. Not, not a fantasy, not, not hearsay, not, uh, you know, so-and-so's, you know, book of psychological mumbo-jumbo. No, the truth will set you free. So I think the first thing to do, if you're struggling with depression, clinical depression, the type where you can't identify, there's nothing that I've done that would make me feel this way. I just feel horrible. One of the first antidotes to that, learn the truth, read the Bible. The Bible makes it plain. We have the power in Christ to do what God wills for us to do. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ. We're a project, gang. Throughout our lives, we, we grow and hopefully move and become a little bit more like, like Christ. Thank God for loving you and bringing you through bouts of depression. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Man, you're lucky. I wish I was you, because I've struggled with depression my whole life. I have to take uh, medications for it. I have to do their behavioral things I've had to learn to do to kind of control it. But one of the biggest things that's helped me is to finally get to the point where I don't allow my emotions to dictate what truth is. Truth is what's found in the Word of God, not how I feel. Because if I wait to feel, 
like I'm saved, or I wait to feel like I'm ready to do something. I'll never, I'll never get there. I have to trust in the Word of God. I have to learn the truth. The truth will set you free. You know, one of the early psychologists, most psychologists today and psychiatrists, they kind of discount a lot that Sigmund Freud talked about. Many people think Freud's a loon. Everything was about sex. Everything's about the, the, the passions in your, in your life. And we're these boiling cauldrons ready to explode at any moment. And we've got all these things. <coughs> well, Freud developed a, uh, a technique to help people. Today we call it psychoanalysis. It's a very long-term process. I think a lot of it's silly. But one of the underlying principles is that if you want to be well mentally, one of the things you have to start to do is understand the truth, reality. We're experts at lying to ourselves, uh, uh, fooling other people, doing you know, all kinds of things. Because it's, it's hard work to deal with reality. Your mental health gets better when you know, hidden truth is brought to light so you can deal with it. The truth. The truth's going to set you free. There are other things you can do. Medication may provide some help. I'm not one of those Christians who, who believe that we oh, just got to have faith. My kid don't take pills. We just have faith. Well, that's good for you guys, but if I don't get my prescription filled on a regular basis... I don't just drive myself crazy. I drive five other people in the house crazy. I drive my parents crazy. I drive my principal crazy. And they're like, you, you need to pick up your prescription? Yeah, I've been taking it for three or four days. Well, okay, I'll take care of that. And I'm not ashamed of that because if I had cancer and I got chemo, would anybody be laughing? If I had, you know kidney problems and I had to go take dialysis. I don't think anybody would be laughing at me about that. But the fact is, for whatever reason, my brain doesn't make enough of the, the neurotransmitter that it needs to make you feel happy all the time. I don't want to feel like, yes, all the time. That's not what we're talking about. I just want to feel normal, level. That's where I want to be. Okay? Anyway, reach out to a Christian counselor. They can provide support. There are some in the area that can help you out, that can talk you through certain things. Now, why in the world did I bring all this up right out of left field? Holy cow, where did this one come from? Well, of course, this week there were some suicides of some famous people. And the Church of God pastors, uh, uh, it's like a, uh, not a Twitter, but a Facebook thing, all the Church of God pastors post in there, and it's a private thing, and one of the things that came up this week was uh, the television show 13 Reasons Why, and I talked about that a little bit a few weeks ago, and the kids watch that show, and, and how many in the mental health profession look at that, and they worry about it, because it's almost as if, you know, ah, suicide, I'm going to fix them now, man, I'm going to get you all back. I know there are people in this 
place here who have had people within your families who have committed suicide. I've had a person in my family commit suicide. And I don't believe that any of them committed suicide because they were crazy or whacked out. They just had problems. And it's not that they wanted to die. They just they didn't know how to solve the problem. How do I? I, I can't fix it. So I'll take my life. That's, that'll fix it. Reaching out for help is not something that should be, be shameful. There are many people who need the help, but they won't ask for it. And I think that's a shame. Um, to, to wrap this up, I had a, a student many years ago, fantastic student, fantastic grades, uh, pretty good athlete, wonderful person, class president, just a leader. Somebody who was like, that, that's, the, that's one of the good ones. That's one of the strong ones. And we come to find out that this kid had so many problems that related back to clinical depression. This is a girl that today, I don't know what they call them today. Back then we called them cutters. They'll feel bad. The, the pain will, and guilt will rise, and then they'll actually cut themselves or their leg or whatever to relieve the the pain. I mean, there's something about it. It's a cathartic kind of action, and it becomes a uh, kind of a cyclical kind of thing that you can get caught in. And it turned out that this person was was a cutter. And when we found out about it, because finally it got so bad, she had a breakdown at school one day, and we started to ask her and talk to her, and then her mother came in, and oh man, here we go. And I remember how many teachers were just shocked. That girl? Are you kidding me? That kid's got it all going on. Sometimes it's the strongest ones who need the most help. Don't make the mistake of thinking that it's only the outwardly woe is me, depressed people who are prone to suicide. Many times it's the strong one. They put on a strong act only to to break. But I think Jesus, through this story of healing of this blind man, he's making the point, there are many times physical ailments, conditions, things that happen to us. We've talked about this before. There are no reasons why. Or maybe in the case of this man, there was a specific reason, but it wasn't because of sin. It wasn't because of anything he did. So I want to reassure you this morning if you deal with depression and you can't put your finger on what's causing it's not because of sin. We live in a fallen world. If you're hurting and you need to talk, give me a call. I can, I can relate. I'd be glad to talk to you. Just let me know what's up. Don't make the mistake of thinking that shit, it'll go away. I'll get to feeling better. All of us are our brother's keeper. Cain, when he murdered Abel, and God was calling him out on it, he said, well, am I my brother's keeper? Of course, the answer is, duh, yeah. You shouldn't have killed him. Well, we are. The church of God is 
our brother's keepers. We're not only the keeper of physical needs and material needs. We need to be keepers of emotional needs as well. I know for all you people who aren't, uh, all you extroverts out there, all this warm, fuzzy feeling stuff probably making you yawn and go, oh, please, suck it up, brother. You know, you just need to get a life. You know, that's what you need, you know. I'm sorry, but there are people who, who feel these things and they need support. I mean, we have a pantry for people who need Fruit Loops and macaroni and cheese. and We ought to be a place where people who have mental needs as well could be a place where people could go and feel safe and secure to speak with other people who love them and who understand. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, this is a topic normally we don't ever talk about in the church. We don't like to talk about it, period. But I believe that there are people who have these kind of needs within our own church body. Maybe not us directly, but all of us know somebody that's hurting, that needs help. Lord, help us to remember to be the, the hands, the feet of Jesus we're not supposed to be great psychologists, Lord, but give us the strength to at least go to somebody and say, you know what, I love you, I care about you, and I'm worried. You want to talk? That in and of itself is very powerful. And God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit to convict us of real sin so that we can ask for forgiveness. But Lord, guide us through times when we don't feel well when we're not doing well, when we just feel totally overwhelmed, help us to turn to the Bible, to turn back to you, because the truth will set us free. Father, we love you today, and thank you for giving me the chance to speak on this important topic. Uh, God bless this church and help us as we move forward uh, in, into the summer. In Jesus' name, amen.